Ooh. Well, I know that uh, the moms are wiping the tears and the dads are high-fiving. Those kids are finally grown, nearly, nearly grown, right? Oh, man. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's, let's, um, let's go to the Word of, of God today, as we are always excited to do here every single week. As a corporate body of believers here at Texoma Cowboy Church, we're glad that each and every one of you are here this morning. And uh, as you can see, we did not have our ranch sorting event. Um, so that's four out of six events the rain has blessed us with uh, cancellations. So we are not going to say don't let it rain ever here. So we are thankful for the rain this morning, and uh, we are very blessed to have what we have this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll dive into the Word of God as a, as a family. Lord, we come to you uh, this day, and we are thankful, Lord, for uh, our student ministries, college ministries, and all the children's ministry, everything we have going on, Lord, here at this local body. Father, I just thank you for these young men and women, Lord, that, uh, God, that are here today, that their parents, Lord, have invested so many years of their life in. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that's been sown into their hearts, and Lord, we pray for each and every one of them, Lord, as they make their way out into the world, Lord, that God, that, that uh, you would use them, God, for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask, Lord, that you would protect them, Father, as they each go their own way, God, from their home and begin to live life and pursue careers. Lord, I pray, God, that you would set your angels about them and protect them and guard their hearts and their minds. And, Lord, for all those things that have been invested in their life, the things the parents have said and things they've been taught, Lord, I pray that your word, God, would... Would, uh, would spring to life in their heart, Lord, and it would hold them fast in the days in which we live. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We are so grateful for it, and it is the treasure of all treasures for each of us who are in Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you would teach us once again from your word today, as you're always faithful to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have ended uh, our, our study through Matthew chapter 6. And uh, Luke chapter 11 on the Lord's Prayer, we finished that up last week. This week we are returning now to our study in the book of Romans. We're going to be prowling, if you will, through the book of Romans again for at least another six chapters, uh, and we may take another break after, after that. But uh, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6, Romans 6. And when I say prowl, I mean literally we're going to be prowling, if you are in the if you were to gather cattle, that's what you do. You're not just going to just take a trot down through the pasture. You're actually going to be looking for cattle as you gather. And as we go through these passages of Scripture, you're going to find that there are some amazing truths here that Paul is sharing. And if we were just to charge through them, we would miss a whole lot. So we're going to take our time as we move through uh, Romans, which I believe uh, just doctrine and all of those things is, is one of the greatest letters written in Scripture and Paul, of course, wrote this letter to those who were in Rome that he had never met and uh, that he one day would make his way to, uh, and there Paul himself would, would give his own life uh, just as, as, as the end of his journey came to an end uh, there. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to start here in verse 1, and so just follow along here. I do want to mention this before we begin. Um, this is going to be taking in some pretty, uh, some pretty healthy forage, if you will, okay? 
The Word of God is something we feast on as Christians. And, um, you know, it does feed us spiritually. It is the, the one thing that we desperately need as Christians. The Word of God is. And um, we know that Jesus Christ is the Word Himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this is the Word of God, that it's infallible, it's true. And um, we are so blessed to be able to go here this morning. So having said that, um, you're going to have to digest some of this this afternoon and through the week. Uh, there's some really deep truth here, and we're not wanting to stumble over the deep truth. We want to make it very easy for us to understand, and that's, I believe, what God desires for us to do is to understand it. But having said that, um, I would encourage you to, 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 to just take some time this week, read through this over and over, and digest it like an old cow would digest the grass that she's filled up on and breaking it down and chewing on it and breaking it down and chewing on it. So I want to encourage you to do that. I'm not calling you an old cow, but take it if that way if you'd like. Uh, but that's an illustration for you, if you will, and uh, it's, it's important. So let's go to the Word of God. Here we go. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says, for we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, that he cannot die again, and that death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires, he says, do not offer the parts of your body into sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but you're now under grace. If, if you remember, and I know it's been probably a few months ago now, we, we were tracking our way through the book of Romans. And you can remember from the very beginning as Paul was writing this letter, he is writing now to those who are in Rome, the Christians who were in Rome. And we understand that many of these probably came from uh, the, the, the preaching there uh, when they all came to town for the time where Pentecost was, and then we have the disciples and everything that happened. We know there were those who were present that were hearing the gospel in their own language, and they were, some of those were from Rome. We know that to be a fact because the Bible says it. So there were believers living in Rome, 
in a very pagan city. Rome was extremely pagan. If you study anything about ancient Rome, you're going to find out that it was extremely pagan, and they worshiped the sun and all these different things. They had a lot of paganism in Rome, and Roman is alive and well today also. But there was so much paganism there that these new Christians were going to need to know some things about about the gospel and about the truth, about who they were in Christ. And so Paul had never made it there yet, but he wanted to. So he writes this letter. This letter is amazing in its, in, its, in its depth of doctrine, teaching really the truths of the Word of God. And Paul does an amazing job here by help of the Holy Spirit writing these things. And I've often said if I were left somewhere with only one, one book to have in my possession, it would be the book of Romans. Uh, it's a very deep Uh, book, but it's profound in its doctrine and its teaching and application for us who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul begins to write to them about um, this salvation. He says in the very beginning, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe. In other words, this gospel is not just for the Jews. This gospel is for everyone who will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad for that today that that includes you and I because I'm not Jewish I'm tight like a Jew, but I'm not Jewish. Uh, The truth is, um, Gentiles were brought in now to this amazing gospel. That's us who are not of the nation of Israel. By the way, is it not incredible all that's happening in Israel as we speak? You know, if people need to, to grasp a little bit of the sovereignty of God, it is incredible to think that a piece of dirt over in the Middle East is the most sought after piece of property in the entire world. And the whole world centers around a a, a little piece of dirt the size of New Hampshire. The whole world does. It's always been the center, and it always will be the center. And only by God's design and sovereignty did the nation of Israel even exist today. There's a lot of really interesting things happening if you just kind of keep up with what's going on there. But moving right along from here, he says the gospel is for Gentiles, it's for Jews. He moves into this whole concept of teaching now that, listen, the law is not what makes you righteous before God because the Jews were like, hey, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in because I'm a Jew. You know, that was the mentality. And they still have that mentality today. I'm all right with God because I'm Jewish. I'm the chosen nation. That's what we are, right? Paul makes it very clear that's not the way it is. He says, by the way, you're sinful, Every human being has been in sin and born in sin from the time of Adam all the way through. Whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew, it makes no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for the Jews, this was probably kind of like a slap in the face. He says, oh, let me tell you, you're as sinful as anyone is. You're no better than a Gentile when it comes to the sinfulness of your own, your own undoing in your own life. That's what you are. You're born in sin. But it's by faith that God reckoned Abraham is righteous. And so he moves into this and he says, oh, by the way, in this gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed, a righteousness that is not by works, but is by faith in the son of God. So it's not just the fact that you were a, a, a Jew that you're right with God. In fact, the truth is the law pointed out that you're all sinners. That's why you've been making sacrifices from the very beginning. Why? To help atone for your sin. And the Gentiles themselves are no different. They're sinners. And they needed some way for God to make them right before him because all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. So what did God do? 
at the right moment and the right time as God had from the very beginning before time ever began, ordained in his sovereignty that he would send his son, the, the, the Christ, the one who would come and take upon human flesh and he would dwell and live among men and that he would live a perfect life that Adam was not able to live, that this son of God, this man, this fully God, fully man, he would empty himself, come and be obedient to God in absolutely everything, being tested, being, being tried, being tempted in every way that every man would ever be. And yet he sinned not this man, the God man, came out of his love for all humanity and he gave his life as a sacrifice, the final sacrifice for all humanity. And that it pleased God the Father to crush his own son, to make atonement, listen to this, to atone for your sin and my sin. Because sin had to be justifiably done uh, in payment. It had to be paid in full. How is that going to happen? You and I can't pay for our sin debt in full. We can't do it, right? There's no way. So God says, I'll die in your place. I'll give my sinless life. And I will die and take upon your sin. And that way, we're gonna, something's going to happen here. Paul says, the imputed righteousness of Christ has been given to everyone who places their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. See, because in Adam, we were all, we had the imputation of Adam, if you will. What was that? Anybody know what that was? Sin. In Adam, every one of us has sinned. But in Christ, the union with Christ, we've all become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is getting at here is something very profound as he makes his way through here saying, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile. Listen, the law's not gonna save you. The law just showed you how sinful you were. But God did something profound. He understands that all humanity has fallen. And the only way that God could ever redeem humankind is if he came in the form of his son and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. Therefore, making man right with God through Christ Jesus and his blood. That's where we stand this morning, Christians. It's amazing. We know that in Romans chapter 5, Paul wants to share it, and he reiterates this, that sin entered the world through one man, the first Adam. Not only that, but sin brought death, and it always does. And it came through Adam. That death spread to everyone. There's no one outside the scope of sin. Sorry. If you thought you were, I just burst your bubble, but that's... Sorry, that's not true. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. The sin of one man brought death to absolutely everybody. And from the time of Adam all the way today, what happens? We see that people die. Why is it? That's a result of sin. But although Adam's sin led to condemnation for all humanity, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that this morning? For the sin of this one man caused death to reign but we know in Christ that life reigns, and it reigns supreme. Adam's sin, because of Adam's sin, mankind became sinners. And let me say this, Jesus Christ didn't just die because of Adam's sin. Jesus died because of my sin, my sin. Sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, Paul shares. God did something, though. He extended to you and I an amazing gift of grace. In God's grace and gift came the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. In God's gift of Christ, 
provided justification for you and me. We learned what justification meant, that I had been made right before God, that although I was guilty and had a crime that had to be paid for, guess what? Jesus Christ paid my crime, he did the time, and I was set free. It was justified through Christ Jesus. That God's provision brought a gift of righteousness. This is so incredible for us as Christians. It's hard for us to grasp this, and I understand it. I struggle with it as well. But we were given the imputation of God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. That means, although from Adam I received something from him, it was sin and death. In Christ, guess what I received? I received eternal life, justification, atonement, and his righteousness was imputed to me. So in the eyes of God, I stand before God today not because I am sinless. I stand before God today not because my acts and my works line up perfectly with his holiness. You and I as Christians today stand before God right before him in relationship with him, reconciled to him because I was imputed the righteousness of Christ because of what he offered and gave me through his death, burial, and resurrection and my faith in him. That's a gift of grace. That's a gift of grace, Christian. What an amazing thing. One act of righteousness brings justification, whereas in one act of unrighteousness, sin reigned. Because of the righteousness of Christ, now life will reign and eternal life will reign in those who trust in Christ. So as sin increased, Grace increased all the more. Isn't that amazing? Where sin reigned in death, now grace reigns through righteousness, bringing eternal life through Christ Jesus. The truth is for every one of us who are in Christ Jesus, and we are living in a time right now, this is incredible, it's called the age of grace. That from the time of Christ Jesus until he comes and takes us home, listen, we are living in the age of grace. That means John Riggs does not get what he deserves. God gives me what I don't deserve. He gives me mercy, forgiveness, justification, and righteousness. Jesus took my penalty. He took my unrighteousness, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, bore upon himself my wretched sin and the sins of the whole world. Is that not incredible? And I receive from him his unbelievable gift of grace in his righteousness that before God as a Christian today, you are justified before God because of Jesus Christ and your faith in him. What a beautiful thing. Grace is the unmerited favor, the kindness of God. It is a picture of God freely extending himself, reaching to people because he is disposed to bless them. This is incredible. In every other single religion in the world, it is man climbing the mountain to God. Every one of them. And they're all based on works. It doesn't matter what, you wanna, what religion you want to look at, it's all based on works. If you're a Muslim today, listen, it's based on works. It's based on this at the end of life. When God puts you on a set of scales, if your good outweighs your bad, there is no guarantee, no hope, no promise of salvation. It's simply based on the merit of your own goodness and your own works. And listen, how would you like to live life that way? Horrific. No, 
Christianity, this is incredible, is the God of all creation reaching his hand down to you and me. And more glorious than that is this, that God himself in the person of his son, the second person of the, the Trinity, the eternal son of God actually came down to man and dwelt among man and lived and gave and taught and, and poured his life out for man. That's incredible. And it's for all who believe. For all who believe. We are living in the time of grace. Times of grace. Paul mentions the word grace 128 times in the New Testament. 94 times. It is mentioned... Uh, 27 times in, in Romans alone. Uh, it's mentioned 128 times in the New Testament. Paul talks about it 94 times and 27 times in Romans, excuse me. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, right? We are right before God. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access to the, to, by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In the fifth chapter, Paul says, let me tell you something extraordinary that's taken place here. Not only has this righteousness of God been given to you and I through the gift of grace and the imputation of Christ, but there's something more profound that's even happened than this. Although once you were an enemy of God, alienated from God, you now have been, by the grace of God, brought into the glorious grace of his presence. You and I can enter into the very presence of God. It's incredible. It's incredible. So righteousness from God, justification is from God, redemption is from God, faith is from God, grace is from God. Salvation is from God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God. This is not of yourselves so that no one can boast. There's no boasting in our salvation, Paul says. There's none at all. It's all the grace and the glory and the goodness of God. It's all because of his amazing grace. Formerly, the Jews and Gentiles were dead in their sins. That's you and me. Also, now they are dead to sin. If you are a Christian, this is what we're going to get into in Romans chapter 6 as I kind of lay us a landing pad here before we get here. This is an amazing thing that's happened. I used to be a slave to sin, but now I've become a slave to righteousness. I used to be completely living a life of sin because that's what my nature was. That's what I was. That's who I was. That's what I desired because I was in Adam. I was a sinful individual. I, I was carnal in my thinking. Those are the true aspects and uh, um, ideologies of someone who is not in Christ. But now we are dead to sin and now we're alive to Christ Jesus. And as we come into Romans chapter 6, this is some very amazing truth that you and I need to grab a hold of today. This is so profound that if we can grasp this, this is literally life-changing if you can understand this. And I know we struggle in our humanity to get this, but the Holy Spirit's going to help us understand this. The new man in Christ Jesus, listen to this, you've been freed from the punishment of sin. Why? Because Christ took your punishment. He took it. 
You were freed from the position of sin. We talked about this. That we were lost. We were an enemy of God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead spiritually. That was our position, but we now are freed from the position of sin. And now this is so incredibly important for every single Christian that we get this. You have been set free from the power of sin in your life. The power of sin. Some of you say, well, John, I don't know about that. I still struggle with sin. Well, good to know you're still human. And you will struggle with sin. But when you understand what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6, it's going to help you completely understand what's really going on here. That you are in Christ Jesus. That although you still live in your fleshly body and you will still struggle with sin, you are not that. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, been born with a brand new nature, and you also have the Spirit of God indwelling you. That is who you are. Because in Romans chapter 7, Paul, the apostle, this was written probably later on in his ministry, talks about him doing the things he doesn't want to do. See, because something changed in Paul's life. It's going to be a great encouragement to you and to me, I know, without any question. The old man died with Christ. The new man lives in Christ. The new man is no longer a slave to sin. The new man has been freed from the power of sin. The new man has a new master and now has become a slave to righteousness. Now, let's, let's go here to chapter 6. As we've laid this kind of as a landing pad here, now Paul's going to help us understand this. You're not going to grasp all this today, trust me. I've wrestled with this passage of Scripture for a, for a while in my own life. I, wanted to, I want to understand this and to, to, to get it and to, to understand. But as we think about a baptism here, and we have those here often, when we think about baptism I often share with people sixth chapter of Romans when it comes to baptism, when people say, well, John, help me understand what has happened here and why baptism is so significant in the life of a believer. Why would Jesus Christ uh, want for us to go and to make disciples and, and baptize? Why would he want us to do this? Because there is a union that has happened in Christ, a union there was also a union that we had with Adam. And therefore in Adam, we all died. We were all sinful. But in Christ, there is a union that happens. And then we have experienced something from the union of what we have in Christ. Now listen to this. Paul says this. In verse 20 of chapter 5, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there were those that were saying this. Well, Paul, if grace increases as sin increases then why don't we just sin more so that God's grace can increase more? And there are those that believe there's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? But Paul says, no, that's not how this deal works, guys. You don't wanna, you're not going to sin more so that God's grace can increase more because I'm telling you, that's not what this is even all about. So Paul goes on and says this, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace of God might increase? Paul says, 
Let it never be. By no means, he says. This is, now listen, this is one of those things you're going to have to chew on, all right? And there's nothing more relaxing to me than to be in a pasture of cows after they've grazed and they've gone over under some shade somewhere, maybe mid-morning or in the evening, and they're sitting there and they're just chewing their cud. I love that. They're at peace. And, of course, the government would say they're letting off green gases, but hey, they're at peace. And you know what they're doing? They have a multi-chambered stomach. They don't have four stomachs. They have a multi-chambered stomach. And to get all the good out of what they're foraging and what they're eating, they simply take it in, full belly, burp it up. But their body can't break everything down in that first chamber like they want to, so they're going to chew it up, chew it up swallow it back down. As it breaks down, it goes to different chambers of their stomach in order that they're able to get all the nutrients out of the forage that they're eating. And so for you and I as Christians, what a great parable or a illustration, if you will, about what we need to do with the word of God. We can, we can run in here and just, and over. Or I can take this in and say, okay, Help me understand what this is really meaning here. There's something here that's very, very profound that God's trying to share with me. And this is the first thing in this chapter I want to share with you here. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, that's a great, that's kind of a warped mind, but think about it. If God's grace increases the more we sin, then by all means, let's just go at it, right? But he says, by no means, Paul says, listen to this. We died to sin. At first, you're like, whoa. Hold on just a second. Paul, I'm pretty sure if I'm reading this, I'm alive. What are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean that we have died to sin? Because, Paul, when I read you in chapter 7, you're still struggling with sin. What do you mean, Paul? This is one of those things you need to chew on and you need to swap, you need to chew it. You need to meditate, think on this. This is so powerful. Listen to this. He says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, the truth is, am I still on? The truth is, I do a lot of funerals and I know the reality of what death does. Death is final. There's no life there. So Paul says, listen, you in Romans and all of you that are going to read this in 2018 in Texoma, you have died to sin. And if you have died, you can therefore no longer live in sin. Now, you're going to have to come back next week. But that's enough for you to chew on this week. This is powerful. This is incredible. We're going to get this broke down next week. I want to encourage you this week to read through this passage. 
Study this passage. And next week, we're going to learn what Paul the Apostle was teaching those in Rome and what he's teaching us in 2018. You died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I really believe, Lord, as we study this section here in Romans, it's going to be life-changing for many Christians to understand what in the world is really going on here. Why do I struggle with these things, yet I'm not that anymore? Why is it, Lord, that sometimes I don't do the things I want to do, God? I do the things I hate to do. God, what does it mean that I've died to sin? God, what does it mean that, Lord, I, I no longer live in it, but yet I see aspects of it in my life? Lord, I know every single Christian here has those questions. But I want to thank you that your word has answers. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we study this this week, that, Lord, you would help us to understand and understand and grasp what it means for us to be in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Don't move yet. I want to let you all know this. I should have mentioned earlier, but we're wanting to take this campaign to pay off what debt we have left very serious. We owe about $150,000. i would like to see us pay that off today. How would you? Let's knock the rest of this stuff off and let's move forward. And if God so lays it on your heart to be a part of that, would you please respond in obedience? I want to thank you for your generosity, for your giving, for your believing in what God's doing and our moving and forward and all of those things. But I just want to put that out before you this morning as we've talked about that throughout the week. Let's pay the rest of this off and let's move forward. Amen? Amen. You all have an awesome day. God bless you all.